Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of Monday, December 16th, 2019. This episode, we will be recapping the Chicago White Sox activity during the winter meetings and what they still need to accomplish this offseason. Personally, I wasn't expecting a lot of activity from the White Sox while they were in San Diego, but I also wasn't expecting Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, and Anthony Redone to sign, and they did, along with a lot of other Tier 3 starting pitchers as well. And the signings haven't stopped. Madison Baumgartner is now joining the Arizona Diamondbacks, which leaves the White Sox with fewer options on how they will address the starting rotation. We will review who is left in free agency for the White Sox to still go after. Oh, and the White Sox did receive some good news over the weekend. The Cleveland Indians traded Corey Kluber to the Texas Rangers. How much of an impact does that move have on the White Sox chances to possibly contend in the American League Central in 2020? At the end of the show, we'll answer your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. But joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. How did the curling tournament go for you this weekend? Uh, we did okay. We went 3-3, uh, three and three, basically alternated wins and losses throughout the weekend, but it was a good time. How was the uh, holiday party? Oh, the holiday party was too much fun. So I got this sweater. It's a beer pond sweater with Velcro ping-pong balls that you could throw at me, and they <laughs> stick. How hard were people throwing it at you? Oh, at <laughs> the start, not very hard. After some folks got some adult beverages in them, they were just whipping, just whipping them at me. Yeah, I, 
I kind of I figured that would be the risk. And uh, a lot of people don't have a good aim. Uh, they give you eight. I only have six left. Uh, there was a fire pit involved that somebody completely missed me and it went straight into the fire. So we're not we're not getting that one back. Uh, but yeah, the holiday party uh, is always a fun time. It's great to see uh, friends out in San Diego right before things got busy during the winter meetings. And let's talk about the winter meetings. And we'll start by recapping what the White Sox actually did during the winter meetings. And that was address right field as they traded for Nomar Mazzara. We had a discussion on this podcast, if you guys listened to us throughout the season, about the White Sox possibly trading for Mazzara all the way back in July. If you remember that conversation about possible moves the White Sox could make before the trade deadline. Sure enough... The White Sox got their man in December after letting the trade settle. Jim, how do you feel about Nomar Mazzara handling the right field duties for the White Sox in 2020? Uh, I don't feel much. It seems like it could be an improvement, so I don't want to... Well, it should be an improvement over what they had last year. Basically, anything you could throw out there would improve what the White Sox put out there uh, in, in 2019, but... It's just the kind of move where it would have made all the sense in the world last year because if he did, you know, like kind of like you know, right now he's Avi Garcia is the popular comparison just because it's a history of really loud tools and decent bat to ball ability. But for whatever reason, swing plane, uh, pitch recognition, timing, you know, whatever you call it, uh, maybe even like, you know, below average defense in right field, despite having uh I, I guess physical skills or, or speed that might make make you think that he could be better in right field. It just adds up to an underwhelming package and maybe a change of scenery would do the job and you can take that risk when you're only projected to win 70 games and see what happens. But uh, when you know, in a season where you're theoretically looking to contend and, and really making things count, it feels unnecessarily risky to put the right field position in somebody like yeah in the hands of somebody like Mazzara, just because if he does live up to what his major league track record says he is, uh, it's not really uh, uh, somebody who helps. Uh, and, and talking about the off season and whether it's here or on the side or just with friends, you know, I, I kind of when I look at the off season, I try to assess when with the roster helpers and guys who don't help. And with like Yasmani Grandal, he's like the ultimate helper. Helps them with catching strikes, helps them with uh, lineup balance, helps them with uh, plate recognition and drawing walks, helps them with power, especially from behind the plate, a uh, position where you don't often see the kind of power he provides. So you, you add it up and he helps across the board. Guy like Mazzara kind of helps with balance, but not tremendously. Hits some power, but not more than you'd expect from right field. I mean, just because the White Sox are awful in right field doesn't mean like any pedestrian right fielder will actually you know help them put them get them over the top. So... Uh, yeah, his, his on-base percentage is, you know, not great. His batting average is, you know, nothing to report about. So it's just, it's, you know, a whole bunch of men. And it's kind of like with Yolmer Sanchez, like his defense was great. That helped there, but like everything else did not help. And so, you know, it just, it, it's not somebody who moves the needle. So I kind of look at it that way. Just, uh, there's a potential he could break out and I don't want to be, uh, yeah, have a whole bunch of embarrassing posts about how much I hated the move. If he does somehow put it all together the way, all the prospect writers thought he could, maybe the change of scenery will be the best thing for him. And, and, and maybe, uh, 
force him to say uh, that changes need to be made. But yeah, it just overall, it seems like uh, an unnecessary risk based on how much offense they need from that position. Yeah, I spoke with Scott Merkin about this trade, and what he understands is that the White Sox are hoping this is a Carlos Quinton-type situation, that get him to a new location, and then everything clicks, and then you have this tremendous offensive asset that's in one of the corner outfield spots. And I don't want to go on a limb and to say, that's totally going to happen for Noma Mazzara, and he's going to be an MVP candidate in 2020, kind of like Carlos Quinton was for the White Sox back in 2008 uh, when he started his career with the White Sox. Uh, but a lot of the points that you touched on, Jim, I agree with. And, you know, after the trade was made, Rick Hahn was trying to convince the media that don't analyze this move in a vacuum. Let's wait and see how the rest of this offseason sorts out. And then we could judge this move, which I thought was kind of funny coming from Rick Hahn. And looking at it right now, I mean, Nicholas Castellanos and Marcelo Zuna, they're still free agents. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it tells me that the White Sox are more comfortable adding Nomar Mazzara via trade for Steel Walker than they are spending the money and counting on Nicholas Castellanos and Marcelo Zuna to fill in that hole in right field. Maybe. I think they're maybe on two different timetables. Mazzara being somebody who's under somebody else's team control and and supposedly drew trade interest from a few other teams, including rebuilding teams that would be in the position the White Sox were last year to take a, a spin on a guy like Mazzara with uh, really no, you know, no drawbacks. Uh, so, you know, you ha- kind of have to acquire him when you do. And I think if the White Sox do acquire somebody like Castellanos or Azuna and you have Mazzara there as 20 homer backup and left-handed bats who can rotate between right field and DH and, uh, you know, maybe it's a new role for him that won't really pay off, but at least you have the depth that they didn't have last year. Then, you know, that's it's a way to evaluate the move and say, like, okay, they're just amassing major league players, uh, you know, and I think Mazzara does qualify even if he hasn't really had a regular starters uh, wins above replacement total, but I, I think the tools are there mm-hmm. to where he can be a major league hitter, and so I don't really quibble with that label. Uh, I, I can see it being an, uh, a positive move, but, I, you know, based on the way the White Sox do things and the way they uh, the plans never quite come together, I think you do have to uh, steal yourself for a, a situation where Mazzara is the right fielder by default because... Uh, things didn't happen or Twitter ruined a trade Rick Hahn was going to make. And yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, that the excuses that have come up before, uh, you know, t- guys not yeah. wanting to play for the White Sox, you know, taking less money to play for uh, another team that's proven itself to be a contender or more functional. So uh, that's why, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, it, 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 I think I'm not rushing to ultimate judgment on it to where, you know, I, I when Rick Hahn says other moves could happen to make it, you know, reshape the context of the move, that's entirely possible. And so I'm not mocking that. It's just uh, <laughs> like with everything else, uh, there's really no benefit of the doubt to, uh, you know, I, I think I've said this before in the radio appearances that whenever I've been wrong about the White Sox, it's been usually being too optimistic. So I think at this yeah. point, you just have to prepare for the case where Mazzara being you know, uh, a guy they've acquired before in other contexts um, in, in putting him in. And, you know, Carlos Quinton, the thing with Quinton is that, you know, health was the issue with Arizona. He had uh, Tommy John surgery, had a shoulder issue from a 
from a dive, I think. And just, uh, you know, he, it wasn't completely healthy, but the minor league track record was there. The on-base percentage was there, especially given how often he got hit by pitches. So the, the, the skills were there. He just wasn't healthy enough to show it. In this case, Mazzara has been pretty much healthy. Just, you know, he's hot and cold, streaky when he gets into a, a, a rut where he's hitting too many ground balls, has a hard time getting out of it. So there are two different cases. And so if he is like a Carlos Quentin type player or, you know, somehow has this, you know, miracle uh, transition into the player everybody thought he was going to be with Texas, uh, I wouldn't quite say it's I would say it's Quentin like in terms of benefits, but uh, it would be a completely different story. I am one of those people, Jim, that is preparing that Mazar is the starting right fielder for the 2020 Chicago White Sox. If Rick Khan were to sign either Castellanos or Azuna, for me, that would be the same shock value when I woke up and found out that they signed Yasmani Grandal. That's kind of where my head is at right now with the White Sox trading for Nomar Mazzara and their current situation right field. I have Mazzara penciled in at right field for the White Sox. And if he does not perform well to start 2020, we're going to revisit this conversation during the season. And that's going to be a hard question for Rick Hahn to answer on why did you have Mazzara be your starting right fielder? And why didn't you make more of an effort or actually get a deal done with better options that can man right field in Castellanos or Zuna? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, just the history isn't great with this kind of with this kind of player, and the White Sox don't have a history of turning guys like him around. And when you have uh, plate recognition, and it, well, I guess the one thing is, and, and the one difference that we can maybe maybe you don't give Rick Hahn the benefit of the doubt, but maybe you give Frank Manichino some room to prove himself one way or another, uh, and maybe institute a program or a system or some way of getting through to guys who hit too many ground balls or or swing at too many bad pitches. It's worth seeing. You know, I'm not going to say that Manichino is a miracle worker, but at least that's different. True. So that's right field. Let's talk about another area that the White Sox are having difficulties addressing at the moment, and that is starting pitching. Before the winter meetings, to me, Jim, it looked like the White Sox had a good chance of signing Zach Wheeler and Cole Hamels, and that would have been a great way to add to the starting rotation. Instead, we know that they got neither, as Hamels is with the Braves and Wheeler's side with the Phillies. Since then, we have seen a flurry of starting pitchers signed, and it seems to be a daily occurrence. You wrote about this on SoxMachine.com, Jim. And for those that didn't see his post and you're wondering what starting pitchers are available, here's a quick top 10 list that I picked out from Fangraph's top 50 free agents that Jim wrote about on SoxMachine.com. Hinjin Ryu, Dallas Keuchel, Wade Miley, Rich Hill, Gio Gonzalez, Kwon Hen Kim, Homer Bailey, Felix Hernandez, Julio Turan, and, Al- and Alex Wood. So you you have a great range here of quality of starting pitchers that are left, and there are the reclamation projects as well. But Jim, you know, Rick Hahn stated at this after the season that he was going to add two starting pitchers to this roster. Are you confident that he's going to be able to sign the two tier two starting pitchers left in Ryu or Keuchel, or are we going to watch the White Sox shop in the clearance aisle again? Uh, yeah, it's tough. Like, I think Keuchel, 
makes more sense than Ryu just because of the way things have gone with uh, Scott Boris clients and such. And uh, with Ryu being uh, preferring the West Coast, you know, being in uh, a lot of players from Japan and, and South Korea do prefer to be on the West Coast just because of travel and culture and such. So I can see that being the case where Ryu signs where he's comfortable. Um, yeah, it's I think it's just the amount of competition that makes me wary just and i think it should i think with the zach wheeler thing prove that you know money alone doesn't always get the job done when you're a team like the white Sox, who they don't have the history of being a, a fun place to play like a great place to market yourself or being involved in fun things and i think until they win uh I think if they win, you know, it's pretty easy to make the case for Chicago being a great landing spot. Uh, you know, one being competitive, two being a great city, and and uh, all the benefits from, you know, wearing a uniform that's very popular even among non-baseball fans, so there's that. But uh, when it comes to what Wheeler turned down, and I think it was reported 5 for 125, he ended up signing for 5 for 118 with the Phillies, uh, it proves that the White Sox can't count on just the high bid. They have to count on the high bid and uh, a willing party. And that's hard when you have teams like the Dodgers looking to add and, and the twins, you know, teams that are contending and, you know, maybe the angels too. And, you know, they're closer and, and have a uh, history of spending the money. So it's, you know, it's going to be tough for, you know, it's kind of like a game of musical chairs where they're running out of, uh, you know, you're running out of pitchers to really want. I think it's just really Keiko and Ryu and, after that, it's uh, signing guys who you kind of have to cross your fingers for. I mean, all pitchers, you, there's some luck involved with them staying healthy, but just the performance isn't there. And I think really if it's a successful offseason for the White Sox, it would be Keuchel, Ryu, you know, slash Ryu in that tier. And then probably the second guy is just a guy they like, whether it's, you know, tier three, tier four, tier five. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of difference between those guys to where, you know, if they sign like Alex Wood, who was in the top 50, um, you know, Fangraph's top 50, he still has some good years in the past and, you know, they're looking at his stuff and talking to him and you just, there is kind of a roll of the dice with all these guys to where um, if they have a reason for liking somebody, sign them. But really that first pitcher is the key one because that's the guy who will be, uh, you know, making sure that Michael Kopech doesn't have to be awesome his first year and so forth uh, and, and, and making sure that Carlos Rodon doesn't need to show up at the half and, and contribute the way uh Pete Carlos Rodon does so yeah it's it's gonna be tough and uh yeah I guess the good news is we know that the White Sox have uh the appetite I guess to spend uh 125 million dollars over five years but we don't know if it's just for that guy or for any pitcher in general yeah I'm siding with it was just Zach Wheeler they were comfortable making that offer yeah and and the the other problematic thing of course is that yes Scott Boris represents Ryu and Keuchel, Boris is moving incredibly fast and almost very uncharacteristic of him, where I was expecting, Jim, for all of his clients that he would drag it on. Like, Cole would still be a free agent, and Rendon would still be a free agent all through December. Maybe they sign in late January, but I was thinking more likely in February that he would just drag it out. But he has so many clients that are free agents that he's just working at this incredible pace. And and I really do wonder that for all the teams that are in the market for Ryu and Keuchel, and I, for sure the Minnesota Twins are one team. The Angels need starting pitching still. 
that is another team that's hungry for starting pitching. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some other teams that really need starting pitching. Oh, the Toronto Blue Jays have been tied to Ryu as far as in the rumors for quite some time. That I just wonder that when general managers are speaking with Boris, they're going to have to work with the assumption, Jim, that he has a deal in hand that his client is willing to sign. That may or may not be true, but that's what he's going to tell the general manager. And the general managers are just going to have to start tossing out offers until one offer is good enough for both Boris and his client, and then a deal is done. And instead of doing these recruiting trips, Boris doesn't have time for that because he's got to get all these guys signed before the season starts. That if you want this pitcher, it's going to take X amount of years and X amount of money. And if you're not willing to meet that, I'm sorry, you're not getting a discount on these guys. And, and I wonder if that really hurts the White Sox chances. Again, basing off their past experiences signing free agents, that they're a long shot to sign either Ryu or Keiko. Yeah, especially Scott Boris and them not really matching up well with Boris as a negotiating partner. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, that's why the Wheeler thing feels like a pretty big blow. And we got a question, uh, you know, P.O. Sox question we can answer now because it kind of fits in the conversation. But he's, uh, Salsa Shark asked, considering how critical Wheeler clearly was their offseason plan, would it have been worth it to go to $135 million? Seems like they had no real interest in anybody but him. And I think they do have interest in Keuchel from what I can tell and just sensing the market and some, you know, I guess some common threads coming up. But I, I think the Boris thing is a bigger factor. But uh, when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to Wheeler and that whole negotiating thing, uh, you know, there's a slippery slope thing when it comes to, um, you know, say if they valued him and they thought like initially, okay, we might be able to get him for four and 18, you know, 18 per. And then, uh, you know, it gets to the point where, okay, we're, we'll go five and 20 and then five and 21, five and 20, you know, just, yeah, you wonder like, mm-hmm. You know, at one point, do they kind of snap out of it and say like, holy, you know, we're, we're, we're suddenly have to pay him for, you know, 50% more than we were evaluating, uh, evaluating him for. And just like, uh, you know, that's not great. You know, it's not a great way to conduct yourself in most cases. And a lot of cases for agencies and rational, at least traditionally, you know, uh, you know, can hot free agent bids are not, uh, rational marketplaces, but that's, you know, one case where you can say like, oh, you know, there's. Uh, if they have some plan for spending and the money and so forth where uh, it doesn't make sense to sign them for that level. And also, I just wonder, you know, if you're outbidding a guy and or if you're outbidding another team for a guy and the guy still doesn't want your offer, is there some kind of, you know, hint to take or, uh, you know, I guess, mm-hmm. umbrage or insult to take to where you say like, oh, he just does not want to be on the White Sox or the agent says, take the hint, you know, it's not going to happen. Uh, you can't make them like you. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's tricky at that point. And I, I, I think that's why, um, you know, Penals wrote about last year saying that the White Sox can't afford to just wait for this market. They have to go for guys who, you know, might be good values before that aren't on the perfect timetable just because they can't be guaranteed to, land the guy they want when they think he's going to be available. And if they think that uh, there are going to be few bidders because the market and humans sometimes surprise. And this is one case where it did. And I think they have to have a backup plan for Wheeler uh, and in the Keuchel range or else it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult questions for Rick Hahn to answer. And it'd be very interesting to see what the targets are. If it isn't Ryu at Keuchel, 
And are you just signing these guys to get through the 2020 season? And we're going to have to play this game again in 2021, Jim? Or hope that maybe Kopech hits his ceiling along with Lopez and Cease and Giolito duplicates his 2019 season and he is a four or five war pitcher every single season they could count on. I mean, there's just so many, lots of hopes and dreams with that type of scenario instead of being able to get a deal done and add someone like, uh, of course they missed out Zach Wheeler, but I still think signing either Ryu or Keiko would go a long way for the White Sox, especially the duration that they have with Grandal that they signed and bringing back Jose Abreu, and they still have Mikata and Giolito for the next four years. I'm with you, though. If they don't land either Ryu or Keiko, uh, the heat is going to be turned on immensely on Rick Hahn, and there's going to be some very difficult questions for him to answer in the media on what exactly are you doing this offseason because they started so well getting Grandal, and then after that, uh, they're they're missing, and there's I think there's a lot of questions on why they are missing. However, Rickon could counter and say, Jim, you don't have to accomplish everything in free agency. There is the trade market, mm-hmm. and there is a trade option, and I'm speaking of David Price. How do you feel about the possibility of the Chicago White Sox working out a trade with the Boston Red Sox for David Price, and that being the White Sox solution of adding a two-tier starting pitcher to the rotation. I'm less thrilled about it. I would think that, uh, you know, given just Price's um, innings totals the past three years where he's topped out at 176, I think, you know, the tier two guys they're thinking of, like Wheeler and Keuchel and so forth, Ryu is a bit uh, more banged up, but Bumgarner I think would be a better case for this where, they have the durability on their side, and they have 180-plus innings, and, and Price has only thrown 176. He threw 74 in uh, 2017, 176 in 2018, uh, I guess, plus postseason, and then uh, 107 in 2019. And, yeah, it's just, I think he's not a bad bet to, I think he's going to age okay, um, just because he's lefty and he does know how to pitch. He, he's a good strike thrower and uh, has been... You know, he has some built-in advantages just by you know his arsenal and such, and availability is really the bigger question. I, I guess I'm just not a fan of him being the Wheeler guy they wanted. I think mm-hmm. uh, if they sign maybe, if they traded for Price and they got say Keuchel on a lesser deal, or they got uh, maybe a tier three guy, and although they're running out of tier three guys, but yeah, just uh, <laughs> it, it's. Yeah. You know, if, if they sign, like, it kind of split the difference and, and maybe with Price and somebody lesser, then I'd feel better about it for getting, you know, a uh, number two potential out of one of those two guys. But counting on Price to carry the load that they thought Wheeler was going to, I think, is a, a tougher ask. I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I don't think he's going to be James Shields-like to where, um, you know, he just doesn't show up immediately and it turns into a disaster and isn't worth the money. Although in this case, I think if they're... If price costs much more than money, then they did it wrong. Well, eavesdropping at the winter meetings, what I have learned, and I have asked others, and they are hearing the same thing, that Heim Bloom, the new chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox, wants to get away of just being able to trade David Price and eat $30 million of his $96 million contract, which would leave the team, whoever trades for him, 
three years, $66 million. So I guess I pose this question. Compared to Ryu Keuchel at price, who would you feel more comfortable the White Sox giving three years, $66 million to out of those three? I think I would say Keuchel and then Price Ryu kind of in uh, 2A and 2B. Okay. But it would be Keuchel. You would still prefer the White Sox to go the free agency route and not make that trade. I think just because, yeah, the the talent. Um, also, I guess you're... I think, you know, one concern I have with somebody like Price is when Price signs the contract that he does, I imagine he thinks he's going to be with the Red Sox for uh, the duration or most of it when he signed for 7-217. and I think just human nature would say, like, this is my last place I'm going to play. Or this is going to be, you know, and, and I'm going to be playing for this team that goes all out to win championships. And I wonder if you get traded, you know, midway through for a team that's rebuilding and you've been banged up and... Uh, yeah, I just wonder if that does something for his outlook. <laughs> I don't know, just like intangibles. Just thinking like the human nature. I like. I think Keuchel coming to the White Sox in a free agent contract is coming to the White Sox with you know expectations aligned. Uh, whereas a price gets traded, you know, it's not necessarily the same thing. Um, that that could be an unwarranted, uh, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, concern I have, but it's just it's just something I, I think factors in a little bit to my thinking, especially when you you have the you know the injuries they've had and just the I think availability is just going to be so important that I would like the pitchers most likely to give them 180 decent innings. Yeah, I, I would still prefer the White Sox to go the free agency route, but I think if we're talking about what is most realistic to happen. Gosh, Jim, I have to say, I, I think it's most realistic the White Sox trade for David Price and not sign Ryu or Keuchel. Yeah, I don't mind. You know, the one thing I do like about Price is that, you know, he does know how to go about his business. I think he's been somebody who people like playing with. Um, so there's that. And the White Sox can use that, especially in a rotation that's pretty young and, and finding its way. So I don't mind that too much. I know he's had some problems with the media, but I don't think it's ever gone, and especially the Boston media, is a completely different animal than what the White Sox have or pretty much any other city in the country has. But yeah, it's it's going to be, you know, it's a little bit of a tricky thing, just you know, knowing exactly how he's going to fit, but... I don't hate the idea. Just I think it's disappointing when you had guys who the White Sox targeted you know, as Plan A's and had the money and just couldn't land them. Right. Well, if the White Sox do sign anyone or they do make that trade, again, you could read up on it on any of the transactions at SoxMachine.com. And if it's a big enough signing or trade, maybe we'll do an emergency podcast. But hopefully Rick Hahn is able to pull off such a move and – hopefully he could get himself into this market that's moving so quickly and they don't miss out and come up empty handed with none of the tier two starting pitching options. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, let's chat about the Corey Kluber trade and the public spat between major league baseball and minor league baseball next on the Sox machine podcast. This spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for a Cactus League spring training adventure. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. You can follow the White Sox all the way down to Arizona for their Cactus League spring training games. 
10 stadiums, 15 Major League Baseball teams, 75-degree temperatures. You can't beat that in February, March, compared to what we're going through in Chicago. All 10 stadiums are also in the greater Phoenix area. They're just within 50 miles. And, of course, in spring training, it's always a great opportunity to meet the players and get autographs before the games. But there's so much more to see and do while you're in Arizona. You can check out amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including some great crap breweries like Four Peaks and Angel's Trumpet Ale House and Goldwater Brewery Company. You can also check out Arizona because it's got incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. I mean, everyone has these must-see destinations on your bucket list like visiting the Grand Canyon or going to Monument Valley or seeing Horseshoe Bend and Tucson. And if you're going to bring the kids along to spring training, Arizona is a fantastic destination for families, especially if you're thinking of spring break vacation there's family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages from water parks to horseback rides to games and activities arizona has tons of stuff for kids to do and see there's also wildlife parks science museums aquariums and even dude ranches so plan your spring training getaway now by first going to visit arizona.com slash spring training again that's visit arizona.com slash spring training my fantasy football league is winding down as there's just two weeks left in the season some of you might be like me and you're the commissioner of your fantasy league this year instead of using other sites to manage my league i made my own website to track our standings and our past champions which you can check out at DraftKingsLeague.com, and I created that website on Wix. It was super easy, as Wix has hundreds of templates to choose from, so if you don't have the best design chops, no worries. They have a lot of website examples you could use for a variety of topics, like blogs or photography, weddings, or even small business options. Wix also has a lot of tools you could use to make the website more productive, For me, it was nice that they have Google Sheets integrations that I could use to quickly create our standings and allow players to track their progress through the season. Wix also has other built-in tools like storage and custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and even e-commerce. With built-in SEO tools, you could also get your website found online easily on Google, and every site is automatically optimized for any device. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help run your business, share your talents to the world, or like me, create a website for your fantasy football league. Whatever you are dreaming of, you'll need a website, and Wix can help. Get started now by going to Wix.com, that's W-I-X.com, slash podcast, to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. Corey Kluber is no longer with the Cleveland Indians. Thank the baseball gods. In 24 starts against the White Sox, Kluber had a 2.96 career ERA. In 164 innings, he struck out 188 White Sox batters while just walking 34. It was never a good night planned when Kluber was on the mound facing the White Sox. And while the possibility still remains that he may have to pitch against them, Now that he's with the Texas Rangers, we don't have to expect four starts for the White Sox to face Kluber a season. However, Kluber did miss most of 2019, and when he did pitch, he didn't look great. So how big of an impact will this have on the American League Central? And with the Indians trading Kluber, 
Is this a sign that they are ready to sell off more pieces? Well, let's try to answer these questions. And Jim, let's start with the impact part. With Kluber no longer in the fold, does this trade help the White Sox in a significant way in their chances to contend for the American League Central? I would say not yet, just because he only threw 35 innings last year. Uh, I think if he were coming off, say, even a, a more... I guess robust injury shortened season where maybe you threw like 120 innings or something like that, uh, then I might say that, yeah, they, they really are taking a risk. But in this case, they're, they won 93 games, even though they only got uh, 40 or, or they only got seven starts from Kluber and uh, only, I think, what, 5.80 or yeah, over 35 innings. So, yeah, just really wasn't a part of their success last year. Uh, White Sox actually hit them, which I think is probably a sign that the writing's on the wall. So, yeah, it's it's not really, um, I guess, an impact move in and of itself. I think what matters is, you know, what the Indians do with that relief. And, you know, they've, we've talked about before with, like, Yonder Alonso, when they cut him and or they, they, they cut his salary by trading the White Sox, they shed it and think, okay, what are they going to do with it? And they really didn't do much. And then, you know, they lose Kluber, but they also traded Trevor Bauer last year. So I think they're trying to kind of do a... Uh, a time-shifting thing where they're trying not to take a huge step back. I think they're. I think from what I can tell, based on the trades they made with Bauer and uh, with Kluber and so forth, is they're trying to keep Francisco Lindor for as long as possible, but trying to prepare for a life after him, or say if things go south in a hurry, that they can trade him and add what they get back from a Lindor deal to a uh, a, a new core that's coming up or getting established in the minors. Uh, that's really my guess right now. And, and uh, it's hard to count them out just because they are pretty good at developing pitchers and uh, they're good at identifying at least talent on the pitching side to replace Kluber. I think the position players are the bigger problem for them. Now, do you foresee the Cleveland Indians trading other pieces away? Let's say Francisco Lindor. Not yet. I think there's still enough with the Indians to contend and, they have some youth on their side and they have, uh, you know, the ability to come up with pitchers out of nowhere, like Shane Bieber, uh, out of nowhere, Zach Plesek, you know, out of nowhere, relatively speaking, and, and in a hurry. So I I think they can replace Kluber and this doesn't signal anything to me in and of itself. And if they, they think they can spend that, uh, you know, $17, 18000000 million better than on somebody they might think might be a number four starter for them, then maybe that's the best way to do it. And if they can somehow use that money and, and build around Lindor and Ramirez and uh, you know, come up with 95 wins again, and maybe that, that's good enough to get the postseason this time, then they're in okay shape. But you know, if they do have a rough first half, maybe that's when they put Lindor in the block and get ready for uh, 2022. If that rumor is true from the Los Angeles Dodgers, though, and the Dodgers are offering Gavin Lux and Dustin May, I don't know, Jim. If I'm the Indians, I'm, I'm taking a hard look at that. Just because we know that they're not going to resign him. They're not going to have the best offer on the table. He is going to leave Cleveland in two years. And, you know, this kind of brings back conversations we had when the White Sox were trying to start their rebuild. Like, what? when is the optimized time to get the best deal possible for someone like Francisco Lindor? Is that right now? Or can you afford to wait in July and a team that trades him still gets a year and a half, and you could still get a great return for Francisco Lindor. 
that's kind of what's going through my head right now on what the Indians should do with Lindor. Yeah, it's just really depressing for, I guess, baseball. That yeah, I think right now Lindor would be the best time to you know would be the best time to trade him, especially for like a, a Gavin Lux headline package, like you mentioned. Um, but yeah, they won you know ninety three games last year. They had some injuries get in the way. Uh, they can you know they can slash should be able to rally and and come up with another projectable win total in the nineties and maybe go a bit beyond if they have a little bit better luck with injuries and acquisitions and such, but doesn't seem like a team that should be tearing it down or or taking a massive step back, especially when the Twins are the only other uh, projectable competition in the Central. Just when you have a two-team race and one team just says, oh, we're good, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see the division. I just think that's pretty sad. Uh, and I think, you know, partially is the Indians don't draw well and they haven't drawn well for a team that's done as well. But I think the Indians' ownership also has a way of just turning people off, I guess, and giving the idea that uh, they're never really going to spend the kind of money that you think their success would afford or enable them to spend. So it's tricky and sad, and you know, it, I wouldn't cry any tears if the Indians do decide to rebuild because uh, that's really the way the White Sox, based on the way they're slowly adding talent and maybe not in any kind of hurry, the one way they can get to second place is if the Indians do voluntarily decide to uh, stand down a little bit. But yeah, it's just kind of sad overall because it's not like, you know, the White Sox have had some teams like the 2012 team, or yeah, it was the 2012 team. And I'm thinking like the 2000 Central winners where they had a team that did really well, but they had some key injuries at the end. They had some uh, real, real depth issues that they had to try to address and they just couldn't do it. Um, this is a team that's still relatively young, especially in the rotation and, uh, you know, they have like Lindor's young, Ramirez is under a good deal. Just they have good pieces and it seems like they should be able to have multiple chances to shape a roster around them. And they're just, uh, kind of running out of time. And, you know, it seems like if they cut that time short themselves, it's kind of sad. It is, but there's also the other part that you mentioned as White Sox fans. It'd be nice if Francisco Lindor no longer played for Cleveland, It'd be wonderful if you played for the Chicago White Sox, but we know that's probably not going to happen either. It's a, it's a very interesting situation because I still I still feel, Jim, even with them trading Kluber away, Cleveland is better than the White Sox. And I think Cleveland still has enough, considering that I do believe Minnesota will regress a little bit, that Cleveland is still strong enough to contend and win the American League Central in 2020. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of how I feel. But if they move Lindor, yeah, that's the beginning of the end. And then it's going to be, when are you trading Jose Ramirez away? And when are you going to offload Carlos Santana? Uh, It would start that rebuild process, and it will depend on what type of prospects they get back in return and how quickly they could bounce back. But... At this moment, I still feel like the Cleveland Indians, even though they traded Corey Kluber away, Jim, they could still compete and win the American League Central. Yeah, uh, I think right now the you know especially like Mike Clevenger if he's healthy he had that weird back issue last year that knocked him out, but anytime he's healthy, he was uh, one of the American League's best starters and should be you know I would count him him for like 180 plus innings next year. Bieber was a Cy Young uh, contender. So, I mean, we have those two guys headlining the rotation uh, and Kluber is like your three at best. You might be able to retool around that for less money. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, 
should it go to Lindor and should, yeah, I think a Lindor trade would mark tearing it down to the studs, at least for immediate plans. Before we start answering your guys' questions, in P.O. Sox, there is the public spat between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball that we need to discuss momentarily here. Um, again, if you don't know the story, Major League Baseball is threatening now to let the current agreement expire with Minor League Baseball. And that agreement is supposed to expire after next season. And when September 2020 comes around, if there is no new agreement agreed upon between Minor League Baseball and Major League Baseball, and Major League Baseball lets that agreement expire, it will allow Major League Baseball to start negotiating with other independent ball clubs or start creating their own to address their player development needs. And it would leave what we know of the minor league baseball system high and dry without players. And Jim, I've stated on record that I think major league baseball is making a huge mistake fighting a two front war. And I get the feeling that Rob Manfred thought he could push minor league baseball around and get what he wants and that the harder fight would be against the Major League Baseball Players Association, I think he's now wrong. (laughs) And this situation is Mm -hmm. only going to get uglier because Minor League Baseball has made this very public, and now you're getting very powerful people in the United States government starting to chime in and starting to get involved with these negotiations. What are your thoughts on what's currently going on between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball? Yeah, I think Manfred had... yeah. He created a situation where Trevor Bauer and Bernie Sanders are on the same side of an issue. <laughs> I think that's uh, <laughs> pretty remarkable for just how much he's turning people off. And it's one thing, I think, when you're picking a fight with the players union and you're ha- like with the strike and with every other labor issue in professional sports. You have the issue of billionaires versus millionaires and people don't feel that sorry for millionaires. So it's an easier emotional argument to win, uh, especially when you have like the whole child's game thing being uh, swung around by fans and, and being able to win the emotional argument there. But in this case with minor league baseball, there are no, maybe there are millionaires who have, you know, maybe own the teams or have a share of it, have some kind of interest uh, in it. But really the way people connect with minor league baseball is with thousand errors or hundred errors in some cases like short season and uh uh you know what they're making a month there it's just you know they it's the kids how they get their first job in baseball like being you know uh, vendors or or you know bat boys or working in front office as interns for minor league baseball and that's where they take their kids for a cheap night out and that's where they meet players who are coming up and 22 years older in some cases you know that's when they provide players free places to live you know in some kind of hosting program because uh you know that's they need some place to live and they don't make that much money and yeah just a completely different argument to make you know you're when you're taking on millionaires and greedy players who don't live up to their contracts, then yeah, just, you can kind of understand uh, why average fans might be unsatisfied with players who don't quite live up to their contracts. But in this case, you know, minor league baseball's only obligation to the public as they see it is to provide a fun night out uh, for players who they think like, you know, have some shot at the pros and, you know, you know sometimes, you know, it's hard to di- identify those guys and, you know, you have some local legends who are, uh, you know, old for the level and never prospects, but hang around and entertain the fans. And, but I think, you know, when you look at affiliated ball and, and 
the way, you know, I guess how much an affiliation means to teams, it does seem like there is some kind of uh, realization fans have, even if they don't really know the rosters all that well, that they could be seeing future stars. It might be something to recognize in hindsight, like, oh, uh, yeah, like, for instance, lo local team here is an Astros short season affiliate. And it's like, oh, Dallas Keuchel. Oh, uh, you know, we watched, uh, uh, you know, it's like, oh, Carlos Correa. Oh, Alex Bregman. Like, all these guys, like, who, you know, have been part of it, or at least, you know, part of the Astros. Like, you know, when you look at these players, you, you think... Uh, that's where they like Hunter Pence. That's where Hunter Pence got started. Ben Zobrist. Like yeah, every time they, they come up big, like, oh yeah, we saw Ben Zobrist. Uh, it, it's, you know, maybe in hindsight, they don't realize at the time, but they like the opportunity to have seen somebody at that level. So, you know, when you take that away and you're just kind of assembling random rosters of teams that, you know, don't have a connection, you know, and, and it just more seems like a shot in the dark, you take that thing away from them. You take that thing away from the franchises. You think it take that thing away from the fans. And yeah, I think it's just, uh, I, I, there's no real emotional argument to make. They're just being the big bully pushing them around. Uh, and I don't know how they, you know, I, I guess they can just do what their power says they can. But when you have a whole bunch of you know, congressional members deciding to uh, start, noticing publicly with letters uh that might be a sign that they're pushing their luck a bit too far but they haven't been punished yet so i guess uh, rob manfred is, doesn't really care about public sentiment as we've seen and i guess <laughs> this is the ultimate test of it yeah it's a tougher battle though that i thought he was going to have so he, he's got this first battle and hopefully they come into a resolution that there's not too much of an overhaul with minor league baseball and their affiliates but at the same time, I'm sure he's working with the Players Association to get that started as far as the conversations with the new CBA and avoid any type of work stoppage, whether it's a lockout or a strike from the Players Association. It can't be a fun time right now if you're Rob Manfred, but this is the bed that he's made. I don't think he has fun. Like, I've never seen him... Yeah, Bud Selig looks like, you know, you know, watching him go about his business. Like, wasn't a whole lot of fun to watch Bud Selig and, and listen and talk, but got the sense of that he enjoyed the sport. Manfred never really sounds content with everything. You know, every, converse, every greater conversation about baseball is uh, just what's wrong with it. Uh, pace of play, players not being marketable enough, attendance falling, uh, you know, postseason ratings, all this kind of stuff. And it just, it's never framed positively uh and and they have some you know minor i guess uh successes when it comes to fun parts like say like players weekend and uh they've loosened up their social media uh rules a little bit but when it comes to just like the greater arguments it's just all about picking fights and uh complaining and and just you know making the dominant narrative about baseball being uh just a sport that's riddled with issues and yeah it's just I think if he were to go about this thing where he said, like, okay, we want to, you know, right now I think it makes the most sense for us to eliminate 42 teams because of facilities, because of travel, because of uh, wanting to better compensate players, you know, and and, and make sure that teams have, uh, I, guess, I guess, are better equipped to uh, graduate players. You know, if, if the league respond, if, if minor league baseball responded with the way they responded, Manfred said, well, you know, it's, uh, that's just a starting point for discussions. Um, it's it's what works out best for us, and I want the Hume Meyer League Baseball to realize that, and then we'll uh, 
you know, it's just a starting point, then I think people would say like, okay, this is just negotiations. But the way Manfred responded is just a guy who does not like being questioned or challenged. Uh, we've seen this before, I think, with smaller issues like the juice ball. Like it took a long time for Major League Baseball and Manfred to, uh, you know, to, I guess, agree or, or validate what scientists were saying about the ball behaving completely differently. Uh, the initial response is deny or deflect or reject it or say like, you know, nothing's wrong and uh, be annoyed by it. And then it comes around that, yeah, it, Rawlings is having a problem with manufacturing baseballs and they don't know why. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a very off-putting way to do it. And I think if you're, uh, you know, taking on the players in the union, the union is off-putting, I guess, in its own way for a lot of baseball fans. But in this case, minor league baseball is seen as cheap fun. <laughs> I think if you're messing with people's cheap fun and, and, uh, and fun jobs and and in nice community events and you know all the uh, all the nice community building things that goes along with minor league baseball and nonprofits and so forth. It's just uh, it's a whole different arena and uh, a whole different way fans connect with the game and a smaller way people connect with the game and maybe you know with all these deals they're striking that have nothing to do with the game like uh, you know I would say like you know broadcast rights and gambling and. Uh, all these uh, uh, endorsement deals and everything. Uh, maybe you know my, the uh, money a minor league affiliate brings in seems like small potatoes, but I think when it comes to the big picture and just how fans are created and how fans connect to the game and how people get involved with the game, uh, it's, I think, way more important than Manfred is treating it. Well, as things progress or not progress between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, we'll let you know the latest on Sox Machine Com. We are going to take our last break to gather your guys' questions so we can answer them next in P.O. Socks. With the holidays quickly approaching, if you are still looking to find a gift for family, friends, or you're part of a, a white elephant gift exchange and you really need a good idea, I've always found buying tickets to sporting events, concerts, or even theater shows is a great way to go. And the best way to do that is is go to SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets at a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way it buy tickets. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand up from the crowd and they built the fastest way to find tickets so you could stop searching for the perfect seat and you could start enjoying it. And I use SeatGeek all the time. Like I mentioned, as far as buying tickets, Buying your buddy some Blackhawks tickets because he hasn't been to a game forever. SeatGeek has great deals. You still have that one friend that's kind of paying attention to the Chicago Bulls at this moment. There are some awesome deals right now in SeatGeek for Chicago Bulls tickets. And if you have family members that want to see Hamilton before it leaves Chicago, SeatGeek has those tickets. So again, if you're looking for great gift ideas... Visit SeatGeek.com, and the best part is that Sox Machine listeners get to save money if you've never used SeatGeek before to buy tickets. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and use our promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE, and you save $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox where you submitted your questions to us. 
via Twitter, tweeting them to us at SoxMachine. Or if you help support the site and show, you posted your questions on Patreon.com slash SoxMachine, where we are always grateful for your guys' support. And answering your questions, of course, is Jim. And Jim, let's go through the mailbag here. The first question that we have comes from Pete Chapman on Twitter. And Pete is asking, what are the teams that are not trying to win in 2020? And do any of them have a starting pitcher you would be willing to trade for? Okay, well, I think I identified six teams that are, I think, still, I would say, shedding talent. I think you have teams like the Marlins who are rebuilding, but they're also, they, they seem like they've shed talent. They've shed all the talent they can. Now they're amassing guys. And, and I think they are kind of out of that, that cycle. I think the White Sox and you know, another team along the same lines that they're done shedding talent. Now they're amassing. Uh, when it comes to like, say the Orioles, I think they've shed all the talent they can with Dylan Bundy. So same thing, like just they're out of guys that they consider expendable. So I think have like five teams here and, and I'll run through them in, in a name and, and see what you think. One Pittsburgh Pirates, Chris Archer. We've talked about him before. Like, yeah, you know, uh, you need to believe in the stuff, I think, uh, given the struggles in Pittsburgh and maybe they've steered him the wrong way, but that's one guy. Mariners, Yusei Kikuchi. Really? Meh. Given how, well, given Jerry DePoto's uh, trade addiction, <laughs> given, given Kikuchi's uh, unimpressive showing, I could see them just, you know, DePoto doesn't seem to get too attached to guys. Uh, traded Omar Narvaez in a hurry, so there's that. So that's one. Uh, I would say uh, the Rockies are kind of in a weird spot where they don't seem to be willing to uh, spend money and might be trying to reshape their payroll and get away from it and, and maybe um, not contend immediately. So I would say maybe like there's John Gray, who is very popular and I think he would re- require somebody above Jonathan Stever. So that would mean like, you know, Madrigal Vaughn and, uh, and, and, and above, but I think uh, Kyle Freeland is somebody who had a really bad year last year. And I wonder if Coors and the juice ball and everything uh, that made life hell for some Rockies pitchers, uh, you know, might've been something factoring in. So I, I'm kind of interested in what happens with him going forward. Uh, there's the Royals and Danny Duffy, uh, Tigers, and Matthew Boyd. But otherwise I don't think too many guys are, or too many teams are getting rid of guys just to get rid of them at this point. I think the Orioles did, but Dylan Bundy was their guy. And that's that. Yeah. I'm still waiting to see what Ben Charrington's going to do with the Pittsburgh Pirates, taking over that team. They've been kind of quiet. I, I figured they would have made a trade during the winter meetings, Jim. That Starling Marte would have found a new home by now. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been the case, but I agree with you on the Rockies. I don't know what the Rockies are thinking. They're, the Nolan Arenado rumors. <laughs> and having Dan Zaborski join me during the winter meetings, and he brought up the fact that Arenado has an opt-out that he can activate after next season. And he can enter free agency that, again. That he didn't want. Right. Right? That, or he didn't ask for. They gave it to him just because. Yeah, and now he's probably seriously considering opting out because he wanted the Rockies to win, and he wanted to win with the Rockies, but if the Rockies are not interested in winning, then why am I going to stick around? I can get the same deal elsewhere. But I do like your idea of Kyle Freeland, and I am now rooting for that. If the White Sox are going to make a trade... With any of these teams, I would be on the bandwagon for Kyle Freeland. He finished, what, fourth in the National League Cy Young voting 
in 2018. He had a really strong season, and I like his stuff. And, you know, maybe he, he can't be the headliner starting pitching addition that Rick Hahn makes this offseason, Jim. But I like that idea a lot. Yeah, it's like I would need to know more. I imagine the White Sox have know more about him, too, because he had a really bad year. But to go from, you know, Cy Young finalist or, or Cy Young uh, uh, finisher to demoted and uh, somebody who didn't really surface after demotion, that's really uh, tough and, and hard to square up. Now, our next question comes from Gary, and Gary's asking, assuming that the White Sox make a move for a more premium full-time outfielder, would you rather have them take a chance on Tosutko, or does Mazara still have more potential value? Yeah, I think uh, uh, Yoshitomo Satsugo, um, Japanese outfielder, signed with the Rays for two years and $12 million. And given that Mazara is about going to make uh, 5 to $6 million this year, it's kind of similar. You have two left-handed bats, uh, corner outfielders. Um, one has been in the majors for four years at a very young age and is just kind of stagnated. Another is Japanese outfielder who is going to be 28 next year. Very good track record in Japan, but also poor defensive left fielder. Um, and so it just he doesn't offer a whole lot of value aside from the bat. Uh, so it it will be kind of a fun thing to watch, you know, just as a direct comparison. The fact that the Rays <laughs> signed uh, Satsugo makes me think that, uh, you know, given their history of Fine, yeah, good finds for good prices makes me think like, oh crap, like <laughs> White Sox should have gotten in them. I wasn't, you know, all that thrilled about Sasugo just being, uh, you know, from reports say a very poor defensive outfielder. You know, adding to that mess and being somebody who might not show up with the bat, but uh, like the Rays when they signed uh, Avi Garcia last year, I thought like, oh great, yeah, they're gonna know how to use him, and sure enough, they did. They got a nice little two to three win season out of him for playing 120 games. Uh, were able to. Um, you know, were, you know, they had depth to uh, work around his annual injury, and he was productive when he played. They played him in center to stretch him out a little bit. So, you know, they they figured out how to get you know use him optimally, uh, and not rely on him too much. And I think they'll probably do the same thing here. But uh, I, I think you know when it comes to writing about the White Sox, I always try to root for the more interesting storyline, kind of just for novelty and writing's sake. And Satsugo would be more fun to write about, just learning about him, learning about uh, how he goes about his business and how he'll adjust uh, and whether he'll adjust and the risk involved and all the questions and all the media who will be following him and the White Sox. It's it's fun to see how Japanese media covers a team like the White Sox and how they cover American teams. So I would have rooted for that and found it more fun. I think Mazzara for right fielder is a better fit for right field. Um, I think from what reports say, he's better than Satsugo as an outfielder, even though he's below average himself. But uh, I am fascinated by it. And I do uh, now seeing where he landed and seeing the kind of uh, players the Rays are good at identifying. Now I wish the White Sox were a little bit more involved. Well, Gary, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from T. Smith. And T. Smith is asking, given the pace of this year's free agent market, does this potentially thaw the icy relationship between the players and owners and prevent a work stoppage before the next labor agreement is signed? I can see it two ways. One is that there was an aberration of a lot of teams tanking at the same time and the market cooled and just, you know, they went to extreme inaction and uh, just it was something that wasn't good for the sports. And, you know, Rob Manfred, maybe this is one thing we can say to his credit, is that he wanted more action at the winter meetings. 
So maybe he was applying some pressure to teams saying, this is really bad, you know, when we're not signing guys early and when the offseason plays out with no peak or no kind of uh, high point for natural fan interest and just were easy to ignore for four months. Um, yeah, that's that's not great. And that's a one maybe one way where the baseball has been able to correct how the public has been talking about it. So a point for him there. Um I guess one thing, you know, if you're looking for Manfred uh, and if you're taking the most cynical, skeptical view of him, part of me wonders if, you know, the way Major League Base or way, way the team's uh, owners are opening up the pocketbooks this year, I do, I, I am kind of skeptical that maybe the, you know, with the way they weren't handing out contracts and the way fewer teams were involved, that uh, maybe the owners or, or Manfred was, uh, afraid of the public being too on the player side <laughs> during the next CBA. Like when you have, uh, all these teams not adding and tanking, another thing that's Manfred was ornery about was as, you know, asking about uh, teams tanking, even though that was clear as, uh, clear as data, anybody watching that teams were not trying to add talent to make them better. Um, yeah, that's, that's maybe he thought like, yeah, with, all the teams not trying to add the best players to make themselves better and trying for wins that this does make it a little easier to sympathize for players. And so maybe we need more big contracts coming out so nobody can claim the players are underpaid and we'll win the public argument. So I guess I can see it two ways. One is that it was an aberration. Things are a little bit better now and there will be less, uh, you know, the players will not have the collusion to point to. Uh, and, and at least that'll be off the table and it'll be a little bit easier to talk back and forth, but part of me wonders if Manfred is just gearing for a fight. This is just a way to make his fight a little bit easier. Yeah. Cause if he gets his way with minor league baseball, I'm sure the players association is going to have a lot of questions about player development and how do these guys get to the major leagues and when they're going to join the major leagues and what kind of commitment are the teams going to make? That's actually fair and honest with these players so they could join the major leagues in a very timely manner when they deserve to be in the major leagues and thus they join our union. I think those are the areas right now and the conversations that the Players Association Major League Baseball needs to have. But Major League Baseball doesn't even fully know. They know what they want to accomplish, but until they resolve the issue with minor league baseball, that's that's a really hard area to answer. But I do agree with you, Jim, with the signings this year, maybe that does thaw that icy relationship because we are seeing, you know, older free agents get paid. Mike Moustakis got paid by the Cincinnati Reds. And I think that is a good sign that if more and more teams are competing and they're getting more involved in free agency, I think that'll make the Players Association happy that their players are getting good, fair deals now in free agency after two terrible off seasons where they really lost. Yeah. And I'm really rooting for the Reds too. I find myself pulling for them emotionally, even though like a lot of it doesn't, you know, a lot of what they've done doesn't make sense from, you know, the whole window to compete uh, and, and, you know, where their prospects are lining, where their development strengths are, but they're trying, you know, and now I, you know, as much as I don't like the twins, I like seeing them rewarded for, seeing the Indians slumbering and decided to let's take a shot for the central, see if we can get in. And they totally pants the, the Indians and uh, were rewarded for it. And I like seeing teams that add aggressively and, and, and shed the whole 
patience and we need to wait for uh, the planets to align to finally spend money, uh, that gets old pretty quickly, especially since it is entertainment. And signing is entertainment, like signing Mike Moustakis. I'm not sure if it makes sense. But the signing itself is entertainment. And watching him, you know, be a better hitter than Scooter Jeanette was last year, that's entertainment. Um, you know, and ultimately, I'd like to see these teams trying to entertain their fans getting rewarded. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I hope there are more successes than failures, or at least that the successes get as much attention for being uh, uh, praised for the risk as like a team like the Reds that might blow up, you know, especially like with Trevor Bauer there. And maybe that doesn't work out. Like I'd like to see them, you know, especially in this climate, being praised for trying to deliver fans a more enjoyable product. I agree. So T. Smith, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week in P.O. Sox. Greatly appreciate it. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to answer in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. And you can also help support the site and show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, in which when we do not have podcast episodes, Jim will still answer your guys' P.O. Sox questions on the site in writing. Only Patreon supporters get to read those articles. So if you enjoy our content and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today. There are different tiers of support that you could choose from. But if you do support the $2 a month, you get ad-free podcasts and you get all of the additional content, all the additional writings as well from Jim on the site. So again, that's patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the socks machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. It was a fun one to record and to recap what the white Sox have done in the winter meetings. And hopefully they give us more to talk about in the upcoming weeks during the off season. Again, with the holidays coming up, if the White Sox make a big move, we'll see if we'll do an emergency podcast. I don't want to promise anything because of the holidays, but we will try our best to have emergency podcasts if the White Sox do make any big moves. And if that does happen, make sure you are subscribed to our podcast, which you can do so via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.